0: It's uh, part of the service where we open up the Bible and we read it and then we talk about what it means and how it applies to our lives. So if you have your Bible, come with me to the Gospel of Luke. In case this is your first time uh, with us, uh, yeah, just so you, you know... The way we do things here is we, we usually pick books of the Bible and we just go through verse by verse. We take a, a different chunk every week and we just walk through and see what God has said to us uh, in his word. So uh, in case this is your first time, we're not the, uh, yeah, we're not the kind of Baptists who are normally always yelling about the devil. There's been a lot of talk about him already this morning, and you're going to hear about a lot more. Um, But what we do is, as we come to sections of Scripture, we talk about what the Scriptures talk about here. We think this is good for us to be instructed about things that we wouldn't normally think of. And one of those things is the reality of of the spiritual war that is going on all around us in an unseen world. Um, And we're going to see that very clearly this morning in the Gospel of of Luke uh, chapter 11. We're going to pray once more and ask God for the help in both the proclaiming and the receiving of His Word. So would you, would you pray with me now? Father, we come before You and we ask for You to show us the glory of Jesus. Father, Your Word tells us that the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. and We praise You that there is one who is stronger than the strong man, that Jesus, the Lord of glory, would come and to rescue us from the slavery that we all know, that we are all born into, the slavery of, of sin under the taskmaster of Satan. So we pray that this morning that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, give us light. Show us truth. Unveil our eyes that we might be able to see truth as you have revealed. And that our minds might be uh, transformed that, to, to think the way that you think about things. and we would see things as you see them. We pray that in our time together you would guard us from uh, from the evil one. That he would not have any place here. He would not steal any of the seeds of truth that fall upon the path of our hearts. We pray that we would not be distracted and we pray that, above all, that we would believe, that we would be people who, who are blessed because we hear the Word of God and obey it by faith in the strength that you supply. So God, to that end, we ask for your help, for your glory and our good, and we pray it in the name of Jesus, amen. So as we get ready to get into this passage, I'd like you to, to get something in your your mind first, and it's, it's this. What is the most hopeless or maybe helpless situation that you find yourself in right now? Let's take a moment and think about that. What is it right now that's going on in your life that you really see no way to get past? You see no way out. You feel like this is something that's either always going to be like this or it's always going to be that cloud that's going to hang over you. Something that's always going to own you? What is that? Is it some sort of ensnaring sin? A pattern that you, you just never seem to be able to, to put to death? Is it maybe a, a broken relationship that it grieves you and you just can't see any way that God could ever bring healing to that relationship? Is it maybe some form of addiction? Maybe even uh, you're high here this morning. You awoke once again to more pills or more whatever, and, and you just decided to come come here this morning, trying to find some kind of hope. But you're not sure if you can ever be free from this. Or maybe there's a loved one who you you would love, you would just want to see him come to know Jesus, but they seem so far and so hardened to him. What is that hopeless or helpless thing that you find yourself in this morning? Those, those realities, whatever they may be, we all bring those sorts of, of felt things in here this morning, and one of the things the Scripture does for us is it says those are real and those are very important, but the Bible wants us to understand that there's more going on in the midst of all of those things than we can see. There is a spiritual war that is going on in the midst of all of those situations and circumstances and relationships and, and afflictions, and there is one who is behind all of that. The Lord of glory is certainly reigning and ruling over all things, and He uses all things for His perfect purposes, but there is an evil one who hates image bearers. There is a wicked one who hates those who are created to reflect the glory of God, and he delights in afflicting us with all sorts of different oppressing things. But the hope that the Scriptures lay before us is that there is one who is stronger than Him, one who is greater than Him, the very Son of God, His name is Jesus, who came and entered into the world to break the rule and reign of Satan and to establish the kingdom of God. And this is one of the major themes in the Gospel of Luke, that Jesus, the Son of God, has come to establish the kingdom of God. that He has come uh, in his earthly ministry, He comes with the message of the good news of God's reign and rule. He gives authenticating miracles to prove that he has the authority to say what He's saying. He then goes to the cross to die, to receive the judgment for all of the ways that we have rebelled against God, and then he rose from the dead to show that neither sin nor Satan nor death is more powerful than him, but that he is the all-powerful one in whom there is power to save. And then he is ascended, which the Gospel of Luke talks all about, or not the Gospel of Luke, the book of Luke talks about in the book of Acts uh, where he lays out the fact that Christ has ascended and he now rules and reigns from, from, from the heavens and he is our high priest who's interceding and empowering the church even now to live out this gospel message where the good news of the gospel is going to the ends of the earth and people are, are coming to know him. That's what's happening right now in this establishing time of the kingdom of God and then one day Jesus will return. And he will make all wrongs right and he will set up the final stage of the kingdom where sin and death and evil will be no more but all we will know is him forevermore. So where we are this morning in this place looking back on Jesus talking about um, in him establishing the, the, the kingdom of God by his works and his death and resurrection. And we live in this time now where we, we are living this out where Satan has indeed been defeated, yet he is still, he's still permitted to, to roam around like a roaring lion. So as we come to our text this morning, there's a, we're not going to have any points. We're just going to walk through the text and observe this, but we're going to have one big idea that kind of hangs over this, this whole section of Scripture, and it's this. That Jesus is the strong Savior who came to free us from Satan's slavery and enlist us under his liberating lordship. I'll say that again. Jesus is the strong Savior. He's the strong Savior who, who came to free us from Satan's slavery, his oppression, and then in turn to enlist us under his, Jesus' own liberating lordship to take us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Let's watch Jesus explain what some of this looks like Beginning in Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Now he, meaning Jesus, was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, Ah, he, he cast out his demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided house falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Verse 19, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if the finger of God But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than him attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. We'll pause there. So verse 14, we see Jesus, we find him once again going toe-to-toe with, with a demon. These demons or unclean spirits show up some twenty times in, in the gospel of, of Luke. And each each time we see one of these encounters, we find Jesus uh, flexing his messianic muscles, as it were, to where he is he's performing a miracle to cast out these these demons to, to prove that he has indisputable power over satan and his realm jesus is always doing this now we don't know anything about this man here in verse 14 this one who had this demon who made him mute what we do know is he was a real person like you and like me who has somehow been taken over by this demonic creature and much affliction has come upon him and he has made him mute And then along comes Jesus. And Jesus goes toe to toe with this demon and he casts him out. Now if you want to learn more about Jesus and how he interacts with demons and you want some demonology, you can go back to the sermon in Luke 8 that I preached. It'll tell you something about demons on the website. You can find that one. There's a whole lot more about that. So if you'd like to study more, you can go back to that, that Luke 8 sermon. But what we see here is that Jesus comes and casts out this, this demon. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke. Jesus delivered him. He set him free. He restored his speech. Now, now, don't you think about that for just a moment. Imagine what it was like to be that man whom for however long has been afflicted by this, this thing that has sealed up his mouth to where he can't speak. He can't say anything. He can't do anything like he, he can't speak. And now all of a sudden, Jesus touches him or speaks to him or however he heals him here. And all of a sudden, he can say things and he can sing. Can you imagine the joy that this man would have known? This this liberation, this demonic creature had harmed him, but Jesus healed him. Jesus is always doing these sorts of miracles, certainly to, to help the people who are, who are afflicted, but he's using it to set up an opportunity to teach something about the kingdom of God that he is bringing. And that's exactly what happens here. Because we, we see there's a reaction, as there always is, to Jesus' miracles. The reaction there we see is, verse, uh, verse 14, the people marveled. They, they marveled. The crowd was was captured by amazement. They were filled with wonder. They were astonished. Now, I think it's important to note here that nobody debates as to whether or not a miracle happened. Everybody sees it. It's undeniable. Mute dude is now talking, and demon is off screaming. Jesus did something here. He intervenes and set this man free. Nobody's debating that. But what everybody is starting to debate is what it really means. Some are stirred to adoration. Others, though, to opposition. You see, some see this as a proof that Jesus is indeed divine, the one who is the Messiah, the promised one, while others see it as a sign that he's of the devil. The same way you may feel if you watch like Chris Angel or David Blaine doing some of their magic and you're like, that's tricky. You're like, where's that power come from? Well, this is no magic show. Jesus does a miracle and sets this man free from a demon. Verse 15 some of them said, Ah, he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Now, Beelzebub, you can study all afternoon about this, but basically, it's a name associated with, with a god of the Canaanites. And the Jews used the name to refer to the devil. And what's happening here is that some reacted to Jesus' power by accusing him of being in league with Satan. Now, really interesting here. The crowds are debating that, but the demons, the demons never doubt who Jesus is. They never say, ah, oh, you must be from the devil. They never do that. They always know that he is the Son of God. Which the reason I want to point that out is because it is... It is striking. It's striking here how everyone in the crowd around the mute man would have thought that it was a tragedy for him to be enslaved by these demons, yet many of them were just as enslaved with spiritual blindness. So much so that they saw this miracle from God and thought it was from Satan. I wonder wonder if you notice how prevalent this is today. Today. How many see the true Jesus as He really is presented, and the true gospel that is really proclaimed as something that is evil? I mean, think about it. In our culture today, it is becoming increasingly so that, that it, is, it is hate speech to say that not all views are valid. It, it, is, it is viewed as hate speech to say that, that, that sin is real and that you are actually a sinner, and that hell is real, and that people are actually going to go there for eternity, and that faith in Jesus for salvation alone is the only way anybody can get to heaven. That kind of idea is even viewed as immoral in our day. Intolerance is the greatest evil that must be silenced. I mean, how many today are 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 resolved in their assumptions that whatever a Christian does or whatever they say must be bigoted and judgmental. Now, I don't say all that so that we can feel some kind of pity for ourselves. That's not at all what we should feel as Christians. Jesus said, a servant is not above his master. If they treat me like I'm from the devil, what do you think they're going to say to you? But I say it because I I want to be really clear that though that's the language that's going on in our culture, do not be blind for a second to think that there's not something behind all of that. It's not just politicized culture. There is demonic thinking. There is a wisdom of the world. There is an influence of evil calling people away from the light, away from the truth. I'm not saying all non-believers are possessed by the devil or anything crazy like that, but I'm talking about that we all are all naturally enslaved to thinking things that are not true about God. Well, verse 16, others, to test him, keep seeking from him a sign from heaven. People are, this is, when you watch Jesus, people are always trying to get him to do tricks. They always want him to do, do another one of those miracles, Jesus, then we'll really believe in you. Now, who knows what they wanted? It says here they want a sign from heaven. Maybe they wanted stars to disappear. Maybe they wanted to turn the, the sun red or maybe right in the sky. Okay, this is really me. Here's my question though. If, if you're here this morning and you know yourself not to be a Christian, we want to thank you for being here. We think there's no better place for you to be. Here's, here's my question that I might ask you. What would God have to do to prove to you that he's real? What sign would be, would be enough to make you think, okay, I'm in? What would that be? Because as we read through the scriptures, what we see is people who are just like us. So don't, don't get disillusioned that this is all some story from way back then and we've progressed so much. We're all the same. Everybody always wants another sign, they always want another miracle. Because those proofs, in and of themselves, I just want you to know that that's not really going to ever convince you. Unbelief is never overcome by multiplying signs and miracles. I mean, Jesus had just defeated a demon and make a mute man speak. And it wasn't enough. This is why we need a new heart. And this is what Jesus comes to give. Well, they want a sign, verse 17, but he knowing their thoughts, which is really ironic, because they want a sign, and he gives them one by reading their minds, but they missed it. But he, knowing their thoughts, said every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste and a divided house falls so he's saying any time a kingdom has civil war raging it's in danger of destroying itself this is true of countries of churches and spiritual kingdoms division leads to destruction So what Jesus is going to do is he's going to to take this idea that they've proposed, that he's doing his miracles by the devil, and he's going to show twice how illogical that is and then what it it may actually mean in the third. So there's three statements here that start with the word if. Did you notice that in your Bible? It's even marked by the verses there. If, if, if. He's he's, um, responding to their accusation. Verse 18, if... Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. Jesus is saying, listen, your logic doesn't make sense. If Satan is real, which they're all assuming that he is, why would he be working against himself? Jesus says, your conclusion about me is wrong. It's illogical. Satan wouldn't do that. That's foolish. Even Satan's not that dumb. Verse 19, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? They will be your judges. He's saying, if you keep this logic going, you're going to discredit yourself because the Jews had exorcists as well, which, again, you could go on a big rabbit trail about there. You see them in the book of Acts. But that the point is that, that Jesus says, if I cast out demons by, by Satan, then you're implicating them as doing the same thing as well. But if they do it by the power of God like you claim they, they do, then there's, they stand as evidence against you. Verse 20, but if... It is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Did you catch that? He says those first two don't make sense. The only logical conclusion here is that I am who I say that I am. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus tells them what the miracles really mean. He says when you see me working these miracles and casting out these demons, what you see is God working. What you see are the tremors of his kingdom coming. What you see is the defeat of Satan beginning. This is what you see. This kingdom of God, and we've we've spoken about this, It's, it's the rule and the reign of God over everything. Jesus says, this is what I'm bringing in. And if you oppose me, you oppose that. And if you oppose me, you're actually aligning with Satan. This is what Jesus is doing. He's drawing a line here, dividing people to show them where they're, they're standing. That, that phrase, finger of God, shows up in the, the Old Testament. Anybody want to guess where it is? You got 39 books. Just guess. Anybody? Nope. All right. Exodus, okay? Exodus chapter 8. It's in you don't need to turn there, but in Exodus chapter 8, Pharaoh's magicians see Moses' miracles, and they say to Pharaoh, this is nothing other than the finger of God. They recognized God is working through this man, Moses. Fast forward to our story. Mo, Moses said, one's going to come who's greater than me. Jesus is indeed the greater Moses. And this situation where Jesus is working here, it's so parallel to what Israel faced back in Egypt. It's it's basically, in one sense, very similar. Israel was enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh, who was the strong taskmaster. Yet God mightily delivered them through miracles, bringing them through the Red Sea toward the promised land. We find ourselves enslaved in sin with Satan as the great taskmaster, the strong man. And this miracle here with this mute man pictures what Jesus came to do. To deliver those that Satan enslaves. Jesus is putting on display that he has power over sin, Satan, and death in his entire kingdom. A greater kingdom is coming. The kingdom of God. Now, what Jesus does from here is he's gonna, he's gonna give you two parables that are kind of back-to-back. And he's gonna use these parables to, to shed more light on what he's talking about and some implications for us, okay? So verse 21 and 22, we see this, this first parable, if you will. He says, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one's stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. What Jesus is doing here with this parable is he is showing he is showing how Jesus is overtaking Satan. Satan is the strong man. Jesus is the one who is stronger than him. Now let's just look back at this again. First thing we notice there in verse 21, that this strong man, Satan... we we notice that he is indeed the strong man. When Adam and Eve sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, a great tragedy came upon humanity. God cursed the world and gave us over to Satan's rule. God is still God. Satan's always on a leash, God's leash. But God has given authority over to Satan. In, In some sense, God has given Satan restricted yet real authority over the world just listen to a few scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, Satan is called the God of this world. John 12.31, he's called the ruler of the world. Ephesians 2.2, 2, he's called the prince of the power of the air. 1 John 5.19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Revelation 12.9, we heard a moment ago, he's the deceiver of the whole world. Satan is called the Leviathan, the great the great serpent in Job. He's called the dragon in Revelation. He's called a roaring lion in First Peter. Satan is pictured as the strong man. He's the one who requested to sift Peter like wheat. Satan is the strong man who has, who's a taskmaster over the souls of all people. Notice also here this this strong man that he it says here that he is fully armed. He is a warrior. He he did yeah he's, he's not a passive kind of taskmaster. He's an aggressive taskmaster. He has he is fully armed. First Peter five eight tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He roams seeking to kill, steal, kill and destroy. Yet as he prowls, he is fully armed. Armed with what? Well, we, we learn elsewhere that he has many schemes, but it seems that his weapon of choice to, to rule over the enslaved souls of humanity are, are lies. Now, I just want to pause for a moment. Again, if you're visiting with us, I understand this sounds crazy. I totally get that. I, was not, I did not believe this stuff until I was 21 and I became a Christian. If I came in here as a non-Christian, I would have heard this have been like, they are crazier than I thought. This is not even the beginning of the crazy stuff we believe, okay? We believe God became a man and walked among us to die for our sins and then rise from the dead, literally got out of the grave three days later. And then we believe that he rose in heaven. And then right now he's just alive as he's always been. And then one day he's going to come back on a white horse to judge the whole world. We totally believe that, and we totally understand it sounds crazy, but I want you to know that if it's true, it's the most glorious news that one could imagine, and if it's true, I've studied lots of religions. I've never found one that makes more sense of life, so I would love if you're here, and you hear this, and you just think, you guys are crazy. I've got a better system. I want to buy you lunch sometime in the next couple weeks. I'm serious, 100%. I would love, I want to hear it. Because this is the only thing that makes sense about life. Now, this strong man who is fully armed, he is armed with with many things, but his chief weapon of choice is is the lie. Listen to what Jesus says about him. (laughs) He's speaking to the Pharisees here, these religious rulers, and he says, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan's warfare is always, in some way, shape, or form, one of deceit. You see, he's strong because he distorts reality with his lies, he's the truth twister. He's the good gift counterfeiter. His sword is laced with lies that are sweet like honey. And we, we eat them up not knowing that it is worse to do that than to drink poison itself. Now everyone in this room has heard the whispers of his deceit. We haven't heard it as like a, an actual voice in our ear most likely. But there's, there's thoughts that come into our mind that are most certainly his lies. The ones that assure you of your importance. The ones that fan your sense of entitlement. The ones that eclipse the promises of God's love with clouds of doubt. Did God really say? He's been saying that ever since. The one that whispers to your broken heart that you'll never be happy again. You see, before a sin, he will tempt you to believe that repentance will be very easy. You can control this, you can get out of this. But after the sin, he will tempt you to believe that repentance is in vain. He's, he's, he's double-tongued, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. This strong man is fully armed with lives that lies that enslave natural people, meaning people who've not been born again. And there's there's no escape to his servitude. There's nothing you can do to get out from this because he's too strong. And he fills us with, with fear or false assurances or whatever it may be. Which Jesus goes on to say, Satan guards his goods. Look at verse 21. He guards his own palace. His goods are safe. The palace is either the world or the heart of, of people. His goods are the souls of men and women. You see, in, in the dungeon, as it were, of Satan, are young and old, rich and poor, famous and forgotten, all enslaved. All enslaved. This is what 2 Timothy 2.26 says, that those who are enslaved by him have been taken captive to do his will. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. You can't see it. These words are going out, but it just doesn't make sense. It's because you're blinded by Satan. His captives are called, Ephesians 2.2, 2, sons of disobedience. Ephesians 2.3, children of wrath. 1 John 3.10, children of the devil. And though we are Im- imprisoned under his power, his, one of his greatest tricks is to ensure you that you're actually free. And he does all that, we can, all that he can to dull our hearts and our minds with entertainment and distraction so that people will never give a humble thought as to whether or not God's words are actually true. They'll just see ways that it would impose on their life and say, I don't want that over me. He tempts and afflicts and oppresses, leading to death but jesus says here though satan is mighty though he is powerful though he is strong there is one who is stronger verse 22 but when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil there is one who is stronger than satan There is one who's stronger than the strong man, Jesus. Jesus is the stronger man. He's the one promised of old that we heard this morning who would come and crush the serpent's head. The one who would come to free us from the tyranny of his oppression. Jesus can pluck us out of Satan's grasp. He can break the chains of oppression. He can tear down the walls of our imprisonment. He is greater. He is stronger. He is mightier. This is what Jesus came to do. 1 John 3, 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. We were doomed, but Jesus came to deliver. And this is what Jesus is, is picturing here in this miracle with this mute man. He's showing, I have power to set you free. Hebrews 2.14, Jesus partook of flesh and blood that through death, his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. That's why 1 Corinthians starts talking smack. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus stands resurrected looking down saying, I I defeated it. This is why Colossians 2.15 says that he, Jesus, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. When, Satan, or when, Jesus, when Jesus hung on the cross, Satan would have mocked at him, but Jesus rose from the dead and disarmed all rulers and authorities and showed himself to be the greater power. Colossians 1, 13 and 14, God the Father has delivered us, these are those who have trusted in Christ, from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What that means this morning is that if you are here and you have turned from your sin and you have trusted in Christ, it's because you've been born again. Jesus has set you free. You are no longer a slave to sin, but you now you are his beloved son. This is the work of the Lord Jesus. This is what he came to do. Now, Satan still prowls around. There's a day coming when he will be he is defeated, but he still struts about working until that day when Jesus comes and will put him down all once and for more. We'll talk about that in a moment. But right now what he does for believers is he walks about as the accuser, whispering all the reasons why you're not good enough and why God doesn't really love you and why you shouldn't inherit eternal life. And you know what? The answer that the Christian says is everything he says is true about that. I am a lawbreaker. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. I have no righteousness in myself. And then we look and we say, but he is my righteousness. And we say, Jesus is the one in whom I trust. I am in him, so I am safe. So accuser, accuse what you may, but Jesus is my advocate. He stands before the Father and says, yep, everything you said is true about him. They're bad messed up but I died for that and rose and they are mine. And now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what we do is we now live as his children, knowing that the one who is stronger than the strong man attacked him, overcame him through the cross and the resurrection. And now we herald the gospel that set us free because the Bible says the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everybody who believes. Jesus liberates captives by the gospel. We were once slaves of Satan have now become spoil of the Almighty King who takes us as his own to care for us forevermore. And there is a day coming soon when Jesus will return and he will finish off Satan. Revelation 20.10 says this, The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now, one of the just mis, uh, misunderstanding oftentimes, if you've ever heard that, that Satan rules hell, that is not true. God rules hell. Matthew chapter 25 says that hell was created for the devil and his angels. It is the place of punishment for the devil and his angels and all those who, were, who followed his ways in rebellion. Satan will not rule hell he will forever be under the eternal judgment and wrath of God. Now, what that's supposed to do is it's supposed to make us say, we really gotta think about this Jesus guy. Verse 23, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. He just draws a line in the sand. There's two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. I'm the touch point. What are you going to do? You see, there's 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 no neutrality here with Jesus. He draws this line in the sand and he makes it clear that apathy is not an option. If you're apathetic towards him, if you say I'm kind of agnostic, I'm not sure. I just want, want to be really clear that that means you've made a decision to oppose him. There is no neutrality with Jesus. Jesus has come to gather the lost sheep from wandering and he calls us to see a clear distinction between those who are with him those who are dedicated to, to rescuing others from darkness now as kingdom citizens by the power of the Holy Spirit and those who are now against him who scatter the sheep and hinder them from coming to see the shepherd for who he is. Jesus calls us to die and to come to him. There is no middle ground with him. This text is intended to make a stop and to consider. Are you surrendered to him? Have you surrendered to the one who is stronger than the strong man? Have you surrendered to this Savior, this King of glory? Are you with him? Jesus will leave no room for half-heartedness here. No looking back to the world, to the defeated kingdom of the strong man. Longing to have what we used to feed us. Now certainly we're tempted to look back there. But as we do as believers, we say no. And we look to him. Listen, one of the things that's really clear is we, we, we look at Jesus and everything he says here. It costs something to follow him. But I just want you to know that whatever it costs, it's worth it. Because you get him. And then finally in verses 24 through 26 he gives a second parable to clarify a little more which is difficult. Verse 24, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none it says I will return to my house from which I came. Verse 25, and when it comes it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of the person is worse than the first. Now, as, as, as we try to unpack this, I want to be really clear. Jesus is speaking of things here which we will have difficulty understanding because there is a spiritual wor- world that is foreign to us. Okay, So I'm going I'm to do, do my best here. What we see here is there's a person who's delivered from the influence and the oppression of a demon. This, they're set free from his influence at the moment. And what the demon does is he wanders about looking for a place to rest. This is an interesting thing. When you study through and you look at demons in the New Testament, what you see is they, they always seem to be searching for something, some body to inhabit. They like to be in, in people. Or if they get cast out of people. Do you remember? Put us in the pigs. Something. They don't want to just wander around. They want to indwell. I'm not sure if that has something to do with the fall. We don't know. I'm trust someday we'll figure it out when Jesus tells us. But what we see here is this, this demon who's been set free. He decides to go back and to check on the person who he was cast out from. And when the demon arrives, he finds that this person has gone through some serious spring cleaning. Things are put together. He's tidied up his life. But there's a problem. There's nobody living in the house to protect it. There's no one there to guard the house. So what the demon does is he goes and he gets a mob of demons to take over the house again. And the result is far worse than it was the first time. Now this is clear. Or not at all. Um, this, is, this is a tricky passage. Here's three, three options as to what he could be talking about. Maybe all three, it may not. We'll see. Number one, he could be referring here simply to the people that Jesus had healed of, of sicknesses and spiritual oppression but did not end up trusting in him. So there were people that Jesus healed but they, they didn't trust in him, it appears, and they simply missed the greater healing that he came to bring. He could be speaking to them, about them. Or secondly, he could be Um, talking about the people who responded to John the Baptist and his call to repent, but they didn't end up trusting in Christ. You remember the crowd came out and they got cleaned up because Messiah was coming, but many of them didn't end up believing in Christ when he came and started speaking. Could be talking about them. Or he could be talking about Israelites who adhered to the Levitical uh, and ritual laws, but didn't trust in Jesus. I mean, listen to just a couple things Jesus says, Luke 11, so in a couple of weeks we'll see this. He says, you Pharisees, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You see, there's a certain sort of cleanliness that they have that does not protect them. Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. You travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. That makes somebody a, a convert. And when they become one, you take him, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus' point here, I think, and what he's saying is that, that just getting rid of the demon is not the goal. Jesus came to liberate you from sin and, and Satan and the demonic for the purpose of uniting you with himself. He comes to give you new life, to bring you into the kingdom of God, to transform you into his likeness. That's what he says there in verses 27 and 28. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast of which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now we're gonna come back to that next time. but, But what Jesus is saying is, whoa, whoa, whoa. True blessedness isn't in being part of my physical family nor receiving physical healings or being fixed up morally. True blessedness is believing the words that I say and living them out. Being a part of the kingdom of God. Having true life in Him. Jesus says, that's what I came to do. Now this is a, it's a, it's a, a text that makes you think, it makes you say, okay, what does this mean for us? It's gonna give us a couple things in consideration before we observe the Lord's Supper. The first one is this. If you're here this morning and you have recently been freed from a demon, I'm not sure how that would have happened, whether you went to some sort of exorcist or another spiritual guide or... um, if you've recently arrived from a place where this was a normal practice, if this this is you, you knew that you were afflicted by a demon and somehow that demon was dispelled of, I just want to say to you, do not be deceived. Being freed from the torment of, of that spirit will not lead you to true peace. The true peace that you're searching for and are longing for can only come with Christ dwelling in you by faith. So if that is you this morning, I want you to know that there is, there is a strong man who's stronger. And he is he came to give you life and to give you peace. If that's you, we would love to talk with you about what's happened and ways that we can pray with you and talk through it. Secondly, again, if you're here and you know yourself not to be a Christian, um, but you've come today because you, you kind of want to get your life together. This is a common thing. Uh, we, we have a lot of visitors who who, who want to come and are trying to to, to, to make life make sense. I just want to say again, we are thankful that you are here, but I want, to, I want to be really clear about something for you. We are not trying to get you into our club because that is not going to help you. You, you, do, you do not need mere religion to make you whole. You see, you, 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 may, you may be leaving some form of sin that you are in, but coming to a mere religion is going to be just as empty and enslaving. The real question is, who is going to rule you? Obviously, none of us want demons to rule us. But the, new, the, the answer isn't for you to now rule you with new moral or religious system to where Jesus is maybe going to give you an assist and, and some help, and you can get some good tips here. If, if just trying to clean out your house, if that's what you're trying to do, I want you to know that you may find some initial success. Or worse yet, you may get it together for the rest of your life. You may actually stop and change some of your destructive patterns. But in doing so, if that happens apart from Christ, you become enslaved to another form of darkness. Empty moralism. And this, this is true whether you, you come to, to Islam or Buddha or AA or, or to Christianity as a, as, a, as a system. Jesus did not come to give people a moral makeover to make them more conservative or to make them more um, you know, sensitive to, to issues of justice. That's not what Jesus came to do primarily or maybe at all. Don't don't come to Christianity as some form of moral bathtub, if you will, where you're going to now get Christian music in your ears and Christian sayings in your mouth. Jesus calls us to something much better. He came to give you new life, a new heart, new affections, to give the Holy Spirit who empowers you to live a life by faith. Listen, it is very common for people to, to treat Jesus as a mere moral reformer some sort of philosopher or the a guru like buddha where you take ideas from jesus and apply them as as moral maxims but i want you to know that that is one of the it is one of the highest forms of deception and i want to say that that that, that idea of treating jesus as as the fixer upper as the moral dispenser of truth and help you to be good for goodness sake, that is what has produced much of the empty religion of cultural Christianity that we see flourishing today. That's why it's powerless. That's why it's got to grab on to, to politics or things, anything else, because they don't have power. Jesus did not come to be a life coach. He is the son of Of God who calls us to come and to die and to be born again and in that to give you life so you you are right if you're here as a non-christian thinking I'm looking for something to fix me because I can't fix me yes and the good news is you're in a room of a bunch of other people who've come to the same conclusion this is not a museum of people who have it all together if you knew about everybody who's sitting around you, what they know about you, you probably would not sit next to them, all right? Everybody in here is bad messed up. But the great news of the gospel is that Jesus knows everything about us and that he loves us in spite of us and he came to rescue us and to draw us to himself and to give you new life. That's what Christianity is about. Romans 6 says we actually become slaves of Christ. You go from having a bad taskmaster to a good one. I remember I shared that with a friend of mine named Eric. Right after I became a Christian, I was so zealous. And all I could think was I got to get Bibles to my friends. So I went to see this buddy named Eric who we used to party together. And um, I took him, took him a Bible. And I, I said, dude, read Romans. Read Romans. I just read it and it, it blew my mind. I had, just read it. Tell me what you think. So I gave it, came back a week later. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, do you, you, you read Romans? And he said, I did. I read part of it. I said, okay, well, where'd you stop? He said, yeah, I, I was reading along, and I, I got to that, that, that part where it talks about us being slaves of Jesus. He said, I don't want that. He said, I ain't gonna be a slave to nobody. If, God wants, if God's gonna treat me like a slave, I ain't having that. No, you can keep that God. And I, I mean, I've been a Christian about six minutes. I didn't know anything. And I, I, you know, I wish I could rewind and be like, whoa, 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 hold on, wait. We're all slaves. You're a slave right now to sin. That's why you can't stop doing what you're doing. Jesus is the good master. He doesn't just make us slaves. He makes us sons. He makes us, he makes us sons and daughters of his kingdom. He gives himself to us. We get to enjoy liberty. This is, not a, this is not drudgery. This is not death. This is life. Pray for him. His name's Eric. Or, thirdly and finally, another application would be that maybe you're here as a believer who's been convicted of some sort of sin and you're trying to repent and clean up your life, but you're not truly depending upon Jesus to do it. You see, we still have the flesh in us that tends toward the old ways. I want to be really clear, I want to be really clear about this. Christians cannot be indwelt by demons. So if you've been born again, you can't be possessed by an unclean spirit because you are possessed, as it were. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit who who abides in you. But we are still greatly susceptible to temptation. And one of the great and most common temptations for the Christian is to not depend upon Jesus. I mean, think about it. How much have you actually prayed this week? How much time did you actually spend in real meaningful before the word time where you're like, God, I need you? In real honest, intimate fellowship with other Christians, confessing your sin and talking about how desperate you are for God's grace. If most of us are honest, the fact is that we, that's, not, that's not the way we normally operate. And sometimes we can be tempted to try to clean up our life but not truly be leaning upon Jesus for the transforming power that we need to jump through hoops of life change but to do it without prayer and and the word. And this is where I would just say that all of us need the constant reminder that the gospel is not just for people who don't know Jesus. The gospel is for us as well. You never get over. I never get over. We never get over being broke, desperate, needy, weak people who need the strength and the power of God to help us to walk every single day. Jesus did not come to help those who help themselves. He came to help those who are helpless. Certainly we must engage, but it is by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit according to his word. Friends, though Satan is strong, Jesus is stronger no matter how vicious his warfare how terrifying his tactics how imposing his threats Jesus is stronger so what we're about to do is we're about to remember him in the Lord's supper and as we do let this not be just some ritual that you do some snacks before lunch but may this be a time where you bring your heart and you say Lord make me love him more Or if you're not a Christian, Lord, make this be the time that I understand whether he's real or not. Are you real? May we come and consider Christ and understand that we're either for him or against him. And I just want you to know, there's no better life than being with him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are a good and glorious God. We praise you for Jesus. We praise you that Jesus is better than dead religion. That he is better than mere going through moral motions. Oh, might you make us a people who find refuge in Jesus the strong man. Might none of us lean upon our own wisdom or our own strength, but may we lean upon the everlasting arms of the resurrected Savior and find strength in Him. Father, whatever hopeless, helpless situation we considered in the beginning, might you help us to see it through the lens of of the glorious Son of God who defeated sin, Satan, and death. And might we trust you to either overcome those things or to give us the Holy Spirit power to walk through them in faith until that day when there will be no more crying or tears or pain. But we long for that day. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Give us grace now to remember Him. Amen.